Good morning. Morning, one church. Uh, sorry to break the mood, but I have a very important question that I've got to ask everybody, and I want to see a show of hands. Who, who's playing Pokemon Go? I don't, I don't mean like right now, though some of you probably are, but like who's got the game, who's, who's on with Pokemon Go? All right, half of you are lying because <laughs> this thing is like apparently like the biggest thing ever right now. Okay, I think it just launched like a couple of weeks ago and it has already officially claimed the title of the most popular mobile game in U.S. history. It has reached, I think now, something like 21 million active daily users, Pokemon Go. So people are, they are like on with the Pokemon Go. But it's not working out so well for everybody. It's not, it's not totally fun in games for everyone. Apparently some people are getting a little carried away, getting a little carried away with Pokemon Go. And they're finding themselves in some like some predicaments, uh, sustaining some injuries and some things like that. So I was, I was reading about this, and I, uh, several articles, you can find all kinds of stuff uh, about what's going on. I was reading about it, and I, I came across this, uh, just a little excerpt here from, uh, from one of the articles that I was reading, and it, it says this. It said, uh, uh, ankle injuries, mishaps with revolving doors, and walking into trees have been among the painful results. So if you're not familiar with Pokemon Go, and correct me if I'm wrong, those of you who played it, because I actually haven't, uh, but I've kind of seen some screenshots. It's kind of like you got on your phone, like the little uh, kind of like a Google Map Street View kind of a thing, and you're walking around, and then little uh, like Pokemons pop up, and you got to catch them. Is that, is that generally how it works? Okay. So you've got people, and we see them like every day. So we look out our front window, and like every day, they're walking up and down our street catching the Pokemons. So, so people like this. So we know, the, we know the perils of texting and driving and even texting and walking. Well, now we've got the Pokemon Go, and people are, are like running into stuff. So they, they have this, uh, they, in this, uh, this little excerpt that I was reading, it, it talks about this gal. She sa uh, says, um, fell on the sidewalk and twisted her ankle while wandering down the street the other night. And then the quote from her, and this is, this is my favorite part. It vibrated to let me know there was something nearby, and I looked up and just fell in a hole. <laughs> Whoops. Like, like, okay, so this is kind of dangerous. Now, I've also read, I've also read about uh, some people who have been robbed because there's, there's some guys using the game to lure people to a certain spot where they are waiting to jump them. So people are getting robbed with the, uh, the Pokemon Go. And then just the other day, I heard another report about a couple of guys who actually fell off, like fell over a cliffside playing the game. So a couple of guys fell over the cliffside. They actually crossed over, like there was, I don't know if it was like a rope or a chain or some kind of a barrier, but it was marked that you like do not cross. They crossed over and fell off a cliff because they just had to catch them all. And I'm reading all this. I'm, I'm hearing all this. I'm reading these articles. I'm hearing the news about Pokemon Go all this last week. And at the same time, I'm studying, uh, the, studying the passage for this week. 
uh, for our sermon this morning. And there was this one verse that, that kept sticking out to me as I was hearing about Pokemon Go in James chapter 1 where it says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So, now there's, there's different translations and some of them use phrases like drawn away or carried away or lured away. And I just get this image in my head of all these people playing Pokemon Go and they're walking along and they're staring at their phones and, and then they're trying to, uh, trying to catch the things that, help me out, what, what's one that you really want to catch? I don't, people who play. Pikachu. What are they, Pikachu. They're trying to catch the Pikachu. <laughs> And they're looking at their phones, and then, boom, they're, they're carried away, they're lured away, and they fall off a cliff. All right? Now, I, I'm not trying to say, so before all of the fans get mad at me, I'm not, I'm not equating Pokemon Go with evil like, or, or temptation. I just think it's a really, like, a really good picture of how temptation works how it, it, it kind of carries us away. We get caught up in our desires, right? Whether it's lust or, or greed or anger, whatever it might be, and then suddenly we've got like the tunnel vision, right? We don't see anything else. We're just stuck in that. We're caught on that. We've got the tunnel vision. We get caught up in it, and we're just blowing right past all the warning signs and going right off the cliff, just like those guys who crossed over that barrier that said, do not cross, and went off the edge of the cliff. So today we are on the second week of this Pressure Point series, and we're continuing on in chapter 1 of James, and today looking at verses 13 through 18, and we're talking about temptation. So I'm going to go ahead and read, and it's up on the screen here, uh, James chapter 1, 13 through 18, uh, and this I'm reading from the NIV. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Amen. So we started off with this image of people being dragged away and enticed. But we got to back up a little bit to verse 13 to see how, uh, how we got here, what James is talking about. It seems, looking at verse 13, it seems that some of these early, uh, early Christians that he's talking to might have been a little bit confused. Or they might have even been having some doubts about God because James has to caution them here and tell them now don't get to thinking that when you're being tempted that God's doing that that that's coming from God now we looked at last week uh, when Mac preached he talked uh, from James uh, the first part of chapter one and, and we learned about trials and having joy in trial and how how those trials actually in those testings work to mature and complete us and uh, actually, if you look at this in the original uh, Greek language that James was writing in here, that word for trial and the word for temptation, it's actually the same word, which might actually help us understand a little bit why there might be some confusion. Uh, these hearers who are hearing it in the Greek and, and they're hearing these same words being used 
why they might be a little confused, or at least why they might think, well, this is an easy way for us to shift the blame a little bit, right? But what James is doing here is he's stepping out, and he is, he's making a clarification here. He speaks up to clear up this misunderstanding. It may be the same word, but there are two different meanings here. We're talking about two different things, and the context of it really clarifies the meaning. And James specifically points out that God cannot be tempted by evil. And so that part there, that, that gives us a better picture of what we're talking about when we're talking about this word in the sense of temptation. Temptation doesn't come from God, James says, because God, God and evil are incompatible. God can't have anything to do with that. Uh, Jesus says in Mark 325 that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So if God is out to defeat evil, then temptation can't actually be a part of his game plan. But just like in the Garden of Eden with the first temptation, you have Adam and Eve passing the blame, right? Adam's like, she told me to do it. And Eve's like, well, the serpent told me to do it. Just like that, we've got these, these Christians that, that James is talking to, they're trying to pass the blame. And they're not just trying to pass the blame, they're actually trying to put the blame on God, of all things. But it, it, it's back in that verse that we first mentioned when we are talking about the Pokemon, is that in that verse where James shows us where actually this temptation comes from. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Uh, so some different translations uh, say lust, uh, dragged away by their lust. Some people, some uh, the translations say evil desire like this one. Actually, the basic meaning of that word is just desire, just simply desire. And again, we have the context around it, the full sentence there that, that helps us understand really what the, the full meaning of that is. It's not just this having of a desire that is the problem, but it's when you become enticed and dragged away, led astray, led off course by that desire. That word enticed, it's the same word, uh, you know, it kind of seems, oh, that doesn't seem too bad, but if you read in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, it uses that word as well. It's the same use, word used there when describing false prophets, and it's this long scathing description about these false prophets and it describes them leading people astray so when James uses this word enticed it's a very strong description of what is taking place but just like with Pokemon Go not evil in and of itself but the problem comes when we are carried away and we are led astray by it and then in verse 15 it says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So that's when it starts to get really serious. From desire to sin, and then from sin to death. And the, the imagery here is birth. So using this, this birth imagery, when uh, there's the conception of desire, and then ultimately uh, this, this birth of sin, and finally what results is not new life, I went to a baby shower yesterday, and when we talk about birth, we're usually celebrating, uh, celebrating new life. So we're celebrating new life at this party. But what happens here uh, with this birth that James is talking about, the result is, is quite the opposite. The result is death. And it all starts 
with our brokenness. James doesn't blame it on somebody else. He doesn't actually even blame it on Satan here. He says each one is carried away by their own desire. And I think that, I think that we're all aware of this. Um, we, uh, we may not like to face it, but we're, we're aware that there's brokenness, right? We're, we can see it all around us. We can see it in ourselves. Max said last week that he felt that God had really lined up things perfectly uh, because we focused last week on having joy in trials. And in light of everything that had happened in that previous week, uh, you know, we didn't change the sermon schedule. It just happened to be that God had, had, had designed that w- he would be speaking on that this week, that week. And I think that actually continues because I think now we start to ask the questions about, okay, we see all this pain and brokenness in the world, and where does it come from? And now here we are, we're reading in James about temptation and desire that lead to sin, that lead to death. We're reading about the reality of our brokenness and the tragic results that come of that. And I don't really know what could illustrate more clearly that reality than these things that we're seeing almost on a daily basis now in the news. And even just the other night in France, another horrible, horrible tragedy. I mean, I think James in this verse was, was probably mostly talking about like a spiritual death, but we're, we're seeing brokenness play out in the most literal of sense. Like we're seeing brokenness play out with literal death over and over again. The world is broken. We see that. Men are tempted. Tempted to hate. Tempted to lie. Tempted to oppress to retaliate, to kill. But the scariest part is that, when we, is that we realize then that we're not just talking about the brokenness that's out there. We're not just talking about the, the sin that's out there in the world. See, James here, he's talking to Christians. James is talking to Christians here. He's talking to us, and he is warning the church about temptation and sin. So we're not exempt from this. There, there are big problems out there in the world, but our sin, our sin is a part of that. There are murders, but I struggle with anger. There's sex trafficking. It's a horrible thing. I'd never, never have any part in that. But I struggle with lust. There, there are economic injustices everywhere you turn, beyond your imagination, but still every day I've got to struggle against the temptation of greed. And James gives us, he just gives us these simple but, but very, very strong words here. The sin and the death and the brokenness, all this that we see and we experience, it starts all right there where you let desire get the best of you and lead you away from God. But James doesn't stop there. And I'm afraid that all too often we kind of do, right? I mean, it is, it is a tough pill to swallow. It's a, it's, a heavy, it's a heavy message, right? There's a lot of weight to it, and I think it's wise that we pause 
that we do pause for a minute, that we consider the weight of that, that we really let the gravity of our own sin sink in. We need to do that, but sometimes I'm afraid that we might dwell there too long, unnecessarily. Sometimes we get really preoccupied with, uh, with the temptation and with the sin, and there's these, these, these dire results at stake, and so we get crippled by fear, and we never actually get past the bad news. It kind of reminds me uh, of this, uh, this man that I saw one time when I was, uh, I was at this little Christian rock concert when I was a teenager, and uh, we were inside, you know, just a bunch of kids doing, you know, jumping up and down and throwing up the rock fist and having a good time and doing what, you know, silly, like, youth group kids do at these things. And the whole time, there's this old guy standing outside, uh, looking in through, like, the venue had these big, uh, store, big storefront-type glass windows, so it was just a big wall of windows. And he's standing out on the street, staring in, and he's got, wearing the big sandwich board sign with big letters that says, The Party Ends in Hell. Now remember, this was, this was like a Christian concert. So it's not like we were in there sacrificing babies and biting the heads off bats, you know? And, and, and so later, like some of us went out there and several tried to explain that to this guy. We went out to talk to him, tried to explain it to him, but it didn't matter. It was all the same. It was all the same to him. It was that, that rock and roll music, you know? Once you let that rock music in, you lose control and then Satan takes over. I mean, that was basically it. And the guy, he, he, never, he never got mean, he never yelled, but I just kind of, I kind of felt bad for him because it, it didn't really seem like he wanted to be there doing that, but it was like he felt like he had to. Like, he, like he, he knew he had to do something for Jesus, but the best thing he could come up with was to go and tell a bunch of kids who were just trying to have some fun, hey kids, you're going to hell. <laughs> and... And I think, yeah, and I think that, that image has stuck with me so, so long. And I think we have to talk about temptation, and we have to talk about sin, and we have to take the time to count the costs and to let it sink in. But there is the risk that we get so narrowly focused on the bad news that the Bible then just looks like this story of doom and gloom rather than a book of promise and hope. And, and if we just stopped there, if we just stopped at verse 14 and 15 and we just wallowed in that, that's what we'd have. We'd have this doom and gloom. But James knows better. He didn't stop at verse 15. He goes on and says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we have a very clear and direct contrast here from what he's said already in the previous verses. Rather than this uh, shifty, two-faced God who is doling out temptation left and right that, that he had to warn about in that early verse, getting that idea in your head, he now gives a description of God as unchanging, giving good and perfect gifts. He's not like the shadows that cast, uh, that shift around depending on your perspective. So if you look at it this way, you look at it that way, it changes and it moves. He's not like that. No matter how you shine the light on God, he's going to look the same. In fact, uh, James describes him as the father 
of the heavenly lights. So the sun and the moon and the stars and all of those things and the shadows and the lights that they cast and, and the shadows that move as the hours pass and even the eclipses that happen when like those heavenly bodies and the earth itself like path, cross paths. All of those things that happen, none of that changes God. None of that affects God. In fact, he is the one, the father of lights, who is the creator. He's the one who placed all of those things in the sky. He's the one who set it all in motion. And it's that God that James says in verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And there, right there in that part of the verse is where the contrast then that he, that he has drawn here is completed. While temptation led to sin and then ultimately death, our faithful God, he pours out on us good gifts and ultimately new life. It says uh, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. First uh, Peter chapter 1 23 says for you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring word of God imperishable new life and this is what that last part that last part of verse 18 is talking about when it describes us as the first fruits of all he created now the first fruits, this, like you could talk forever. There's so much like theology and eschatology and so much good stuff packed into that word right there. The first fruits are the first. They are the best of the harvest that is offered up to God and they, uh, they are like a representative. So the first fruits are like a sign or like a preview of what is to come. So God made all creation to be good, but it's been broken through temptation and sin and death. That happens in the first pages of the Bible with that first temptation, and it's been really the story of mankind ever since. But God has a plan. His plan is Jesus. And in that plan, he gives those good gifts, some of those, the best of those gifts are things like grace and redemption and salvation. And his plan isn't just for us. His plan is for everyone, and actually his plan is to reconcile all creation. A new heavens and a new earth we read about, where all the sin, all the brokenness, all those things are gone. This book starts out with a story about temptation. But that's not how it ends. In Revelation 21.4, in the final pages of Scripture, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So he chose to give us new birth to be the first fruits of that. We're meant to be signs of goodness and grace, of redemption, renewal and reconciliation. That's our job. So I don't have every answer for all the pain and the brokenness, the evil and the sin in the world. But I do know that we were made for better. That in the midst of all the chaos that we were meant to shine a light of hope and to live a life that points 
to all that God has promised. And that, at least, is in part uh, the answer to how we face this pressure point of temptation. James didn't stop at just giving us a warning about temptation. He went on to give a reminder of who our creator is and what we were made to be. That's how he tackled temptation. He knew that the best defense is not dwelling on what we shouldn't do, but actually, actually uh, dwelling on the good and the promise, the hope of who we are and will become. So when the temptation comes, when the sin and death are knocking on the door, when the world around us is crumbling in, in corruption, we draw nearer to God, to our Creator. We draw nearer to Jesus, our Savior. We're reminded that He gives good gifts, that He chose us for new life, not for temptation, sin, and death. We're challenged also in that, that we are called to be representatives that we're called to be ambassadors of his new creation. That's a big job to fill, but he's the one who gives us the good gifts, and he's the one who strengthens and empowers us to be able to do it. So the first step in turning from temptation and sin and turning around a broken world is this. Just simply be reminded that God has put in us the potential for so much more. So I want to close by reading from another passage, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. I think this, this section of scripture just brings us all together so well. And I'm going to be reading, uh, I'm going to read it from the message um, because I think, I think it just says it really clearly uh, for us. So I want to close with this, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you, his choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this, and you'll have your life on a firm fitting. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our master and savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.